We've all seen somebody blow up in anger, and it's not a pretty sight. But is there ever a time when anger is justified in God's sight? Turn to John chapter 2 and join us for Abounding Grace as we recall a time when Jesus got angry for the right reason and in the right way. This is amazing grace. Great to have you along with us. As we continue our study of John's gospel today on Abounding Grace, we come across some people who were taking advantage of others and doing so in the house of God. They were ripping people off in the name of God. And very sadly, this sort of thing is still happening in our world today. So let's make sure we don't get caught up in it ourselves. Here now with the details is Pastor Ed Taylor in John chapter 2, verse 13. Take your Bibles, open them to John's Gospel, chapter 2. We are studying verse by verse in the Gospel of John. And the last time we were together, we were with Jesus at a wedding feast. These feasts normally lasted seven days, and Jesus was there with his disciples. And above the many questions that come up in John chapter 2. One of them is, why was Jesus there? Why was he at a party? Why was he at a party when the wine was flowing? And, the, and, and it's a very easy answer. Jesus was there because he was invited. He came because he was invited. Every time you invite Jesus into your life and into your occasion and into your event, he will come. And while he was there, they ran out of wine, which would have been a great social black eye on this family. They come to Jesus with the need, and with the need, Jesus, he performs his first public recorded miracle, bringing joy to a joyless situation. For those of you that weren't with us, we studied that section of John chapter 2 in depth last time. I would encourage you to pick it up. But the essence is that he brought joy to a joyless situation. But in a much larger sense, we see a truth about Jesus that's important for us to remember in our joyless and difficult times. Because each and every one of us are going to face and continue to face joyless, difficult times. And what we see in Jesus is that he not only performed the miracle to bring joy and happiness to a married couple, celebrating with them, but it's even more than that. Because we learn in Jesus very early on in his life that he had at his immediate disposal unlimited power to do whatever he wanted to do that pleased the Father. He is God in human flesh. This is important to remember because we all face things that are outside of our control. And when we face things that are outside of our control, and I I am speaking of the difficult, hard things. I am speaking about the things that when the storms come and the winds come and beat down on your house and you find out what kind of foundation you're built on, we all face those kind of things that are outside of our control. It's good to remember, it's good to remember that Jesus has at his disposal this very moment unlimited power to do what he desires in your life to please the Father. It's very important to remember that. For example, you get the phone call. You're actually expecting a letter because you just went in for routine tests. And normally with routine tests, they'll just send you a letter and say everything's fine. 
but you didn't get the letter this time. You got a phone call and say, can you come into the office? We want to talk to you about your test. And that's when your heart sinks. So, well, you know, you just sent me a letter. You want to talk to me? And you know, you know what they were talking about. You know what the signs and symptoms are showing. And the doctor brings you in and she looks at you and very matter-of-factly says, the tests say that you have cancer. And this is how we're going to deal with it. I mean, you have no control over that. What are you going to do? I think of the times when your boss calls you into his office Friday and says, I want to talk to you on Monday and uh, be here at 10 o'clock. And you've heard rumors that things are not good at the company. And you've heard rumors and you've kind of seen it. And when you come in to that appointment on 10 a.m., you've been wrestling and struggling and worrying all weekend. You finally come into the appointment and your boss says it very matter-of-factly. I'm sorry, i got to let you go. It's just the business isn't there. And I don't want to let you go. You're a great employee. You've been so good to the company, but I've got to. When a spouse comes to you, and you know, it has been rough, and it has been rocky, and you have sort of sensed that things aren't all they should be, but you've been praying, and you've been seeking, but they come to you nevertheless and say, I'm done. I don't want to be in this marriage anymore. And your life is shattered. Things outside of your control. You just got out of debt, you know, and you've just paid off all your bills, and you've, been, you've got so much high hopes for the future, and then that other bill comes in, you forgot about it. It was no small bill. It wasn't like you could take 20 bucks out of your pocket. It was a huge one, and it's unexpected and you don't know what to do, and you don't have the resources. You've just spent all the time that you need, and you're like, whoa, what am I, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? The lawsuit filed against you, the gossip that's said about you. You need to know in times like this that God is in control, and he can still turn water into wine. God is in control. He's sitting firmly on his throne. He is going to work in your life. I want you to think about the water to wine in a different way that we didn't address last time, and that is this. The host of the party has no idea that Jesus is working behind the scenes. <laughs> he has no idea. He just got the problem. Here's the problem. Bad news. You didn't plan ahead. And he's processing and he's thinking, just like you right now, some of you are processing and thinking, and what if, and if we just did this, and maybe this, and if the phone call comes, and if we attacked it this way, and while all the planning and all of the thinking is wonderful, is great, Jesus is working behind the scenes, doing things that you have no idea that he's doing in order to meet the need that's in your life right now because you belong to him. And you can trust him. You can trust him with your life. But you have to invite him in. Just like he was at the wedding, you got to invite him in. He can't just be a part of your life. He has to be your life. You have to really embrace what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ, he lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That crucified life leads to the resurrected Christ living in your life. You've got to invite him in. Trust him with your life. God can, even if, if necessary, create an answer for you and bring a solution to your difficulty that you couldn't even think of. You know, right now you're addressing it and you're looking at it. You go, well, I can do this and I can do it. But, but God, he works outside of all that. He could be working an answer. I mean, think of it with the host. You know, well, we ran out of wine. Well, you know what? Fill the water pots up and maybe they'll just miraculously turn into wine. I mean, he couldn't have done that. It didn't even cross his mind. Empty out the ritual purification pots and put some new water in there and let's just see it turn. He, he had no idea how God was going to reach him. But he did. And he brought joy back into a joyless situation, something far outside of his control. 
Now, there is a predictable flow in this chapter. We did, I didn't develop it this way. I could have developed it as a whole different Bible study, but I chose not to do it. We go the direction we're going today. But if, if you wanted to look at chapter 2, it starts with a conversion, water into wine. The second half of chapter 2 now goes from conversion to a cleansing. Uh, it's, it's a cleansing, and it's a great picture. You could do a Bible study easily on what it means to be born again and the life of faith. So that you're converted, and then God changes you from the inside out. And so now we turn the corner here in chapter 2 to a more difficult situation. There's a predictable move here from joy and belief to disgust and unbelief. Pick up with me now in verse 13 of John chapter 2 where we left off last time. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Joy at the wedding. Belief among the disciples. Sorrow and sadness now at the temple, the house of God, because the people were being ripped off. Disgust, because as he moved, as he moved from the time of joyous celebration to a place where there should be even a greater celebration, as people are coming with their sacrifices and to sacrifice unto the Lord, that day of atonement, that day where the, where the Passover of God is memorialized and remembered, and that, that day of great rejoicing was actually not so, not so good after all because the religious rulers of the day were taking this time to take advantage of the people. You've got to get the scene of a very busy time in Jerusalem. Lots of people there. The Passover was one of those feasts that was required for people to come and worship, so they would come with their animals. Some would come with little turtle doves. They weren't very rich. That's all they could come up with. Others would come with a lamb, uh, depending on what their station in life was. And they came expecting to offer up a sacrifice unto the Lord to only be met by those that would take their genuine sincerity and take advantage of them. So this time of money changers and these animals is actually a really bad deal because what was happening is they would come with their little turtle doves and they would say, here, we've come with our sacrifice. And the priest would look at it and say, oh, no, 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 this, this, is, not, this is not good enough. It's not clean. It's not without blemish. And you know that the person would go, oh, no, we've traveled all this distance. What do you mean it's not clean without blemish? What are we supposed to do? We can't just go home and get another one. And as they're processing that, the priest would say, well, I know this one won't work, but we do have one that you can buy. And I know it's a little more expensive than you expected, but I'm sure you have money because you've traveled a long distance. And of course, those things weren't being said. They were just doing what they were told to do. Here's another one. And so as they go, okay, okay, they talk it over and they go, okay, let's, let's spend some money on the new dub. We've come to worship. We've come all this way. We can't turn back now. They would bring out their money and then the next thing they would be told is, oh, oh you, you didn't bring the temple currency. We actually can only sell you that lamb or that dub with the temple currency and, and your money is not going to, we can't take your money, but there, there's a table over there. There's some guys over there. Go ahead and, uh, go ahead and talk to them. They'll, they'll change your money for you. There, there is a fee but they'll take care of it for you. And they're just getting ripped off. 
The religious rulers are pushing them away from worship and taking money along the way. Now, those of you that are studying with us in 1 Samuel, you see the condition of the leadership of Israel many, many years earlier doing very much the same thing, taking advantage of the people in the name of God, ripping them off with thousands and thousands of percent of markups. Jesus sees this and will have none of it in his house. He decides to clean house, the temple representing the house of God, the presence of God. He decides he'll have none of this. And it says in verse 15, when he had made a whip of cords. I've studied this passage for many, many years, and it's only this last time that that phrase jumped out at me. He made a whip of cords. Because chapter 2 is one of those chapters in the Bible, John chapter 2, where people will come to and kind of make excuses for their behavior. For example, the first half of John chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine. So, you know, if Jesus turned water into wine, then I can get drunk and just do whatever I want because of Jesus. No, no, no. We dealt with that last time. That's no, 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 no. That's not. But, you know, other people will come to the second part of chapter 2 here. People with an anger problem. People that like to throw this go off the handle. People that like to throw things and yell. People that like to just go off and just, they're in the flesh and they're, they're outbursts of wrath. And they'll go, well, you know what? Jesus got mad. He just flipped out at the temple. He went and turned everything around and, and rah, rah, you know, all this money moment, all the people yelling and screaming. It was a very dramatic time. You know, if Jesus can flip out, I can flip out. Jesus isn't flipping out here like you do in sin. Jesus was sinless. He is what we would call righteously angry. He's a man under control. This didn't just happen. He just didn't walk in and say, I can't believe this. Boom, 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 however you do it. I know that looked weird, but Jesus did it better. He didn't do that. He didn't do that. It says that he made a whip. That took time. It took time for him to get the supplies. It doesn't say that he bought a whip. It doesn't say that he said, hey, Peter, give me your whip. It says that he made one. That takes some time. It takes some time to get the materials. It takes the time to weave it all together, however he did it. This is a very much controlled situation. One that in the perfect timing of God, Jesus will clean house, just like he does in our lives. This would have taken time. It would have taken time, and I believe during the time, the singular purpose of Jesus was revealed. He finishes it, walks into the temple, and starts overturning the tables. Money flying all over the place, the animals going crazy, people yelling. Not an outburst of wrath at all, but righteous indignation. Friend, if you are an angry person, and you flip out, and you throw things, and you yell, and you try to control people with your anger, that's not of the Lord. The Bible says that outbursts of wrath is a work of the flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. God has power residing in you. He lives in you. You don't have to be an angry person the rest of your life. There's joy available to you. And you certainly don't need to fly off the handle any longer, but simply abiding in Jesus, giving it some time. Maybe some of you, maybe you're going to start a ministry of making whips of cord, a cord of whip or whatever. What does it say? Whip of cord, sorry. Maybe that's what you just need. You, you just got to take and just... Like, maybe we can do hide and seek, and we can hide different things. You know, I need to make a whip. I'm so mad right now, I need to make a whip. And we, we'll just make it really hard for you to find the leather. And we'll make it really hard for you to find. You know why? Because during the time, you'll calm down. Jesus didn't need to calm down, but some of you do. 
Some of you need to learn to take a walk before you say anything. Just go take a walk. Well, how, far, how long and how far? As long and as far as necessary. I find myself last year as we were wrestling with things and emotions were getting you know, inflamed in my heart because of my son's passing. I, I can look back because I have that little Nike app. One day I walked for 10 miles and I still didn't think it was enough. My feet were hurting. That's why I went home. Just, just Lord, meet me here. Just, Lord, speak to my heart. Lord, I want to be close to you. And here, don't let Jesus, don't misinterpret Jesus here as being flying off the handle. It took some time. It took some time. You you look at chapter 2 as well and see a great contrast to the stereotypical portrait many people have of Jesus, don't you? I mean, a lot of times when Jesus is painted in a painting or talk, he's, he's made to be somewhat feminine in his approach. You know, you probably even have the picture. I know it's a cool picture, but, you know, Jesus is so, oh, I just walk around with sheep on my neck, you know? I just like, I walk through the sand and carry you through the footsteps. You know, Jesus was not a feminine. He was a man's man. He was a truly man in every sense of that word. He grew up in a carpenter's home, you know. I believe his arms were muscular. I believe that he, so much so that after the scourging, because this was a man that endured the beating that we know as the scourging. We talk about that on Good Friday. Here's a man that endured the crucifixion to the point where he gave up his spirit. And after the scourging, Pilate, Pontius Pilate said to him, Behold the man. And this is a man coming through in every bit of his manhood, God in human flesh, traveling on foot. And by the time he comes to the temple here, he says, no, I won't have this. So much would improve around our churches and our home and our country if the men will stand up and be godly men. Men that hear from God and act upon what God reveals to you to be the man in your home, to be the man in your workplace, to be the man in your church. Jesus was a man. And he lived in such a way where he was always in tune with the Father. So I see a great contrast here. But not only that, I see, well, what happened, in the, what happened here in the first century, unfortunately, is still happening today. People are still ripping off people in the name of God. And it shouldn't be that way. People are still, people are so sincere. We're we're sincere. You you and I, we want to worship God. We truly want to connect with him. We're not playing games. We're not goofing off. We're not just being a part of a church just for that, for the sake of it. We want to make an impact on the world. We want to change the world. We, We want to abide in Jesus. We want a true, real relationship with him. And that puts many at a vulnerable place. Because there are many that would love to take advantage of that sincerity in your life. God doesn't operate like that. He, he loves you and cares for you. He's not interested in your money. He's interested in you. It's still happening today, folks. I hope you're not being ripped off. I hope you're not being taken advantage of. Hey, you know what? God's teaching is very clear in the Bible. He does want us to give to the work of the ministry. He does want us to tithe. He does want us to give of our offerings. He wants us to have a giving heart, but he certainly doesn't want you taken advantage of. 
You know, from time to time, people will compare this passage of Scripture with our own church, and they'll say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, you've got a bookstore down there. It looks like you're doing business in the church, or you've got a cafe down there. You're doing business in the church. That is not what's described in John chapter 2. You know, we use those ministries, the bookstore, the cafe, the ministries, uh, to bless you. The bookstore, you know why it's here? It's here so you have a place on the planet Earth where you can walk into the bookstore and trust everything that's in there. We don't, all the Bibles are sold at cost. We don't mark up any of the Bibles. And then the books are marked up just a little bit to pay for shipping and to give something away to someone else. So think of it this way. When you're buying something, you're also helping to support something, you know, stuff that gets sent out to the prisons and people that call on the radio and everything. It's just like you're, you, you are being used in a great, humongous way. And anything that's left over at the end of the year, which isn't much from that line item on our budget, anything that's left over, do you know what we do with that? We carve it out between the missionaries, and they get a little bonus check at the end of the year from your church. I mean, can you imagine what a bu- the missionaries just like, man, we're here, we are at the end of the year, and there's a little check. It's not much, but man, it's an encouraging thing. It's an encouraging thing for us. That's your giving. So if you ever, you know, in the cafe, you know what the cafe is? It's an opportunity for ministry because we have, I am so, this is so cool. We have families that volunteer to cook a meal before Wednesday night service and Saturday night service every week. I see them in there. I always, that's the first place I go. I say, hello, what are you guys cooking? I smell it upstairs sometimes because when they do the garlic, they do the garlic, man. So it goes right up into my office. I'm like, oh, but I can't eat before service. I can't eat before I teach because, well, you understand why. That's just not, you don't want that. Especially they have chili beans and stuff. Don't do that. Don't eat. You don't eat before service. But it's become a ministry where you can come for a couple dollars, just not much. It barely covers all the costs. And the people that are cooking are volunteering their time under the Lord. Where you can just come right straight from work, be blessed, have a little meal, enjoy some time down there, have a cup of coffee. And, and again, all the proceeds, except for a small portion of the proceeds, go to buying equipment and stuff. But other than that, it goes out to bless missionaries. So, so just in case, you know, if anyone ever asks that question, well, you know, they're doing business. No, 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 no. That, that's just not, that's not why we have it. They're just ministries. You know the bookstore? You know how it started? with a table, a borrowed table at Columbia Middle School. We borrowed one of their tables, and we put six or seven books on it. That was the bookstore. Hey, mention a book in the study today. You can get it right here. And then some brother came, and he says, you know, I think you need more room because the table's getting crowded. I think I can build you something. And he built us these really cool wooden things that we used to keep at the school, and we'd pull it out. And even Mike, our, one of the first guys that ever served in the bookstore with my son, Eddie, he was here last night because he and Angie are still part of the church. Then we'd roll that thing out. It would open up. We'd straighten all the books out, although some of the books were all beat up because they just got put up and down and put up and down. And, and this is the pattern that's been from the very beginning to put things into your hands so that you can grow in the grace of God. You don't have to use the bookstore down there. Don't worry about it. If you, if you do Kindle, just take a picture of the book and get Kindle. That's cool. No problem. Uh, however you decide to read and use the resources. But here, Jesus, and, and I would say this, I would say this in light of that. If Jesus ever came and said, you know what, that needs to stop. You know what we need to do? Stop. That's just simple. If we ever, you know, and if, if it's, it's a ministry, it's run by volunteers, but man, if he wants to clean house, clean house. Are we missing something? Lord, we don't want to miss anything. We want to keep the main thing the main thing. We're here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, to love people in Jesus' name. We don't need a bookstore. We, we don't need a cafe. We don't need a building. We don't need chairs. We, we just need, a, we, you know, some people are having church without a Bible because they've memorized the scriptures and they're teaching from the memorized. What we need is to learn to follow Jesus very, very closely. 
This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. To give this study in the Gospel of John a second listen, go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. If you haven't read Chuck Smith's classic book, Love the More Excellent Way, we'd like to recommend that you do. We'd love to get this into your hands. You'll not only discover what love is as defined by God, but also how to love the more excellent way. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. You can also request this and other resources online at calvaryco.store. If you just like to make a donation and not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to aboundinggraceradio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at aboundinggraceradio.com. We've got another study in the Gospel of John to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. May God richly bless you with His abounding grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.